All right, you're in Ephesians chapter 2? If you're there, say I'm there. If you're not, say I'm getting there. All right, all right. Give you a few minutes. I'll recap as you turn in your Bible or your iPad. In week one of our, our series on Ephesians, Pastor Todd talked about uh, our great spiritual inheritance and, and a lot of what that entails. And I'm going to recap a little bit of that today as well. And then in week two, he talked about the spiritual blessing of prayer. And he, he broke down uh, uh, prayer and, and, and the Apostle Paul's view on prayer and the different things of the blessing that, that we obtain through prayer. And then last week, we looked at the difference that Christ makes. And he looked at, we looked at, Pastor Ty talked about the difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And so um, we're going to continue in our series today. And I want to continue. I'm going to uh, start off again. We'll be camped out in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. It says this. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Let's pray over our time in the word. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is awesome, living, and true, active, and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. You are the counselor. So we ask that you would teach us today. Help me, Lord God, speak to me and through me, Lord God, that my words may be clear. We bind up any single, every single distraction that may try to hinder your word going forth. We take authority in Jesus' name, and thank you that your word does go out and accomplish exactly what you've set it forth to do. I pray, Lord, give us the grace to receive it and even greater grace to apply it in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. These verses of scripture are an excellent depiction or description, should I say, of the church. Uh, this gives us a few pictures. The Apostle Paul gives us a few pictures of how we should function as the body of Christ. I'm not just talking about family life church. I'm going to be talking primarily to the church today. I'm not just talking about family life, but the body of Christ as a whole, but also as a local church. I want to look at these four uh, descriptions of the church that Paul gives here at the end of Ephesians 2. That's where we're going to camp out today. And as a church, how we should be operating. So, for the most part, I really, I say for the most part I'm talking to the church, but really, I, I'm talking to really everybody in here. Whether you are um, a born-again believer, Family Life Church is your church home, you have been connected and you're in the local church, or maybe, you know, you, you, you've just been coming to church a little while. Maybe today you're our guest today. I want to welcome you. I'm glad you're here. But maybe you're, it's your first time, or maybe you've been kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, or maybe you were once you know, uh, uh, saved or in, maybe in connected in church. And for some reason or another, you've gone away and, and you're kind of coming back around and trying to figure out uh, if this church thing is for me. Well, I hope by, by this, th these pictures that the Apostle Paul paints, and you're wondering why maybe you should even be in church, involved in church, connected to the church. Uh, hopefully today as I, as I explain these things and try to unpack these things, those of us that, that are in the church would understand what our function, how we should be operating. And if you're not sure, you want to be a part of it. Hopefully you can see how the church operates and why you need to be a part of it. Amen? So let's look at these, uh, these, these few things. Number one. 
Paul starts out by saying that we are citizens of God's kingdom. In verse 19, so now you Gentiles, which by the way is us, unless you are born of Jewish descent, we are all Gentiles, but no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You know, there was a time when we were all strangers and foreigners to God. We had no relationship with God and no fellowship with God. But if you've been born again, well, we were not citizens either. As he says, we had no rights to citizenship in his kingdom. But through faith in Jesus Christ, he has brought us to God through the Father. Amen? That's what we just remembered. That's what we just celebrated uh, during communion. Ephesians 2.13 says this, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. See, if you have accepted Christ, you are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are now fellow citizens with all God's people. You know, I begin to think about this, you know, as American citizens. Uh, if, if you're a citizen of the United States of America, you know, there, there are certain uh, rights and privileges that we have, right? We, we can move around freely. We can, you can travel freely. You can go from state to state. You can move pretty much anywhere you want. You can get a job anywhere you'd like. Um, you're able to get a passport from, from the United States to travel across the world. Uh, we can request certain things from, from the United States government. We can obtain certain things. There are certain rights and privileges we have from being born in the United States, living here, and being a U.S. citizen. Citizen, you know, uh, people that are coming into our country illegally, you know, they have to they have to be worried about man. If I get caught, if I'm, you know, it, then I'm gonna go back. They have to send me back home and all this stuff. As American citizens, we don't have to worry about that, right? You don't ever have to drive around and say, man, I wonder if they're gonna, you know, de- deport me back home. For for me, it wouldn't be that that far of a de- you know deportation. It'd be up I ten to Bro Bridge, you know. So right, we don't have to worry about that, right? We're American citizens, right? So there are certain rights and privileges we have as citizens. Paul says, as citizens of, of the kingdom of God, we also have rights and privileges that non-believers don't have. Isn't that right? It's kind of, that's what Pastor Ty was talking about last week too, if y'all remember, right? The difference that Christ makes is kind of going in that vein for the first point, staying in that vein. He talked about this last week. One of them was that we have the privilege of knowing the mystery of his will. Ephesians 1.9 says this, He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. We get to know the mystery of his will. Now I know sometimes it's, it, we, we pray and it may be hard to figure out God's will for your life individually, but you know what? When it comes to God's grand scheme, we know the mystery of his will. We know how this thing ends, right? We know, right? You, if you read the Bible, you'll know how it, how it ends. You know his will for us personally and for, for, for all of mankind. So we get that privilege. We get that privilege. Non-believers, those that are still foreigners or strangers to God, and I'm going to explain that a little bit more and hopefully clear some things up about that. They don't, they don't, they don't know God's will. They don't understand God's will. They don't understand God personally because they're strangers. Just like if you don't know someone personally, you may try to interpret what they say or how they act, right? That happens nowadays with, with the media. You hear something, a soundbite of one person say, and you make a judgment of that person, but we don't know that person intimately, right? But when you get to know somebody personally, you understand, okay, this was his motive. This is what he meant. This is what he's really trying to accomplish. See, as citizens, we get to, we get to understand that and know that. Also, we have a right, as Pastor Todd talked about, to a spiritual inheritance. 
Philippians 3.20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So going back to the saying in the illustration of a citizen, we are citizens in the, in the natural realm of the United States of America. But, you know, honestly, really, in the spiritual realm, this is not our home. We're actually, you know, when it comes to this, we're foreigners in this place because we're citizens of the kingdom of God. You see all through the scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testament, Hebrews talks about this, that, you know what, we're just passing through because our permanent home is in heaven. We're citizens of the kingdom of God. Now, God's kingdom is operating here on the earth, but one day, you know what, we're going to change addresses one time and it's going to be the final time, right? It's going to be our permanent address and it's going to be in heaven because we're citizens of heaven. And thank the Lord, we don't need a passport to get there. Again, Jesus did it all on the cross, right? But probably the greatest, and I would say the greatest privilege that we have is access to the Lord. As citizens of the kingdom of God, as Paul talked about, is we have access to the Lord. And he talks about it in the verse right before where we started. In, in Ephesians 2.18, he says this. Now all of us, all of us, this is all of us that have been born again, all born again believers can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. All of us can come to the Father. We have access because of what Jesus did for us. You know, I was reading a story the other day about a, um, a man, a man of God that, that the Lord called him and his family to move to the Soviet Union. And, and they moved there many, many years ago. God had called him to move there to minister and to start a church and pastor in the Soviet Union. And he said, I mean, this was probably 20 plus, maybe 30 years ago. Um, in order to make an international call and call back to the United States from the Soviet Union, they would have to call the operator and order a call order a call back to the States, and it would take three days for that call to be able to go through. So they said, okay, in three days, your call would be ready. But he said, you had no idea when that call was even coming. So you had to stay home on that third day all day and wait to make sure that your call can go through to call back to the States. Or if you ordered a call to someone to call you, you had no idea. He even said if the call came in or if you was making a call and it was busy, it's not like you can just hang up and ask the hospital, hey, can you read down and call right back? No, if you called back to the States after three days and it was busy, you had to order another call and wait another three days to call back. We've come a long way with communication, right? Now we can literally text people around the world as long as they have Wi-Fi, right? Or even call them in a lot of cases, right? You know, he said, and even when the call came through, sometimes the reception was so bad, you had to literally yell and scream over the phone to be able to hear the person back in the United States. Man, spiritually, aren't you glad that that's not how it works with the Lord? The Bible says that we have access to the Lord. We have access. Look what it says in, in, in verse 18 in the New King James Version. It uses that word. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now, that, in the Greek, that word access here describes individuals who had free interest, access, or unhindered approach to the king's court. There was no need for pleading begging and no waiting in long lines. It was un, an unhindered approach at any time and at any moment. That's the picture Paul was painting, is that when we go to the Father, there's no, we don't have to order a call that takes three days or order a prayer. Lord, I need a prayer, that, and, but in three, three days, can I call? No, we don't have to do that. Amen? 
And he was saying it as a king, as, as the, he was trying to explain to them. Back then, there's no way. You couldn't just go walk up in a king. We see that in Esther, the book of Esther. You couldn't just walk up in the king's court and go request a meeting with the king. You would get struck down dead, literally. So Paul was telling them, listen, through the father, to the father, through the king of kings, we have 100% total access to the Lord, the king of kings, because we are citizens of his kingdom. And now even, you got to think, this, this, this turned their minds upside down, because even if you was a citizen of that country, you couldn't just walk up in the king's court. You know, but through Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit provides a way for you and me to immediately contact the father at any time. I, you know, I hear people say that sometimes, you know, like, hey, man, can you know, being a pastor, hey, man, can you pray for me? I, I know you, you got like that red line to God. I said, brother, you got that same phone at your house. Don't matter if I'm a pastor, that red line, you have it too. You have that same one. You have clear reception and all, right? And there's no overages and no hidden fees. We got, we got a clear line to the Lord. I was thinking about that, all the privileges and citizens, uh, as citizens of America, even in our day and age, we don't have that access to the president or the leaders, right? Go try to walk up in the White House and say, I want to sit down with the president. Ain't going to happen, right? You see what happens, people that just cross that fence at the White House. Don't turn out good for them. But in the spirit, as born-again believers, as citizens, as the kingdom of God, you know, we got the privilege of knowing his will. We got this awesome spiritual inheritance because we're citizens of heaven. And we got total access to the Father anytime. Amen? Amen? The second picture that Paul paints in Ephesians chapter 2 as the church is that we are members of God's family. We are members of God. It says that in verse 19. You are members of God's family. See, through Christ, we are fully accepted into God's family. We become children of God. We become children of God. First John 3, 1 says this. See how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Oh, I love that. We were just singing that. I'm no longer a slave of fear. I am a child of God. Amen? Again, I love that. I love singing those songs that are, that are biblical. We are children of God. Now listen, being members of God's family, of course, there's, there's many different privileges, but, but there's two, two ones I want to hit on real quick. Two privileges of being in God's family, and one is the privilege of adoption. Romans 8, 14, and 17, you can see again, we were adopted in, it says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are children of God. Now let me, let me just stop there for a minute. And I've said this before. Because I hear people, I even hear some Christians saying, you know, well, God loves everybody. We're all God's children. These verses make it clear that we're, not everybody in the world is God's child. We're all God's creation. But we're not God's children until what? He adopts us in. Right? You see that? Now listen, God still loves everyone in the world. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever would, would, would believe in him would not perish and have everlasting life. So I'm not taking away God's love for the world, 
But the scripture makes it plain. And we say that, see that in these two scriptures that not everyone is a child of God. And if you, you go uh, along the, the, the thought of adoption, right? I know there's some of you in here that have adopted children. And you know what? You can love a child. Let's say there's a child in an orphanage and you want to adopt it. You can love that child. You can, you can pour out all your love in them and, and you can want to adopt them. But if, if that child don't want to come into your home, you can love them all you want, but, but they won't be your child until they say, okay, yes, I accept. I want to be, you to be my parents. You take them into your home. You begin to love them and raise them, they become your child, right? The Lord does the same thing with us. And it says all that are led by the Lord have the right to be called children of God. Amen. Do you see that? So I just want to be clear on that. Just, just a little, a, a little clarity there. Again, God loves the whole world. We are all his creation, but we are not his children until we get born again and we accept Christ into our life. And then he adopts us in. And now we are in the family of God. Does that make sense? So in any healthy family, you should receive love, care, interest, concern, support, encouragement, help, provision, direction, fellowship, companionship, accountability, training, discipline, etc. Right? In any of you, you live in a healthy family. If you grew up in a family or in your family now, this is what a healthy family should look like. These are the things that you should receive as all as well as being part of the church or if you decide to be a part of the church as a family. Now, listen, we're all humans. We don't hit it all the time. We miss it. I definitely understand. But that's what the local church is supposed to provide. Amen. That's what we're supposed to provide. The local church is not to just come in once or twice a week, sit here, hear a sermon and then leave. No, the Bible says that we are a family. And as a family, I even said that this morning, as a family, we should offer each other this support and this love and concern and encouragement and all these things I listed, accountability and discipline and training. I'm so thankful for all these things that when I got born again, almost 15 years ago now, right here in this spot, that all of these things were given to me here at this church. And I'm the man that I am today because I was a part of this family. Amen. Because I am a part of this family. So that, let let me look at it two ways. So let me say this. If you've been a part of the church for any time, short period of time, or for quite a while now, and you haven't been doing these things, I want to encourage you to step your game up. Church is more than just come and sit on a pew. We're a family. And just as in your regular family, if you would see somebody in trouble, going through a rough time in their life, needing help, hopefully you'd want to reach out to that person in your family, be it your your spouse, your child, your brother, your sister, you would want to help that person out, right? The family's the same way. The family of God should be the same way. I read that A.B. Davison tells a story of when he was living in a strange city. He was lonely, and he used to walk the streets at evening time. Sometimes through an uncurtained window, he would see a family sitting around a table or the fireplace in happy fellowship. Then the curtain would close and he would feel shut out, lonely, and in the dark. This cannot happen in the family of God. Then this should never happen in church. Through Jesus Christ, there's a place for every one of his children here in the family of God. Amen? Amen. Because the truth is, is that we're all adopted and we all use the, 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 you know, not all, but you've heard the thing about all oh, we treated like a stepchild. Well, guess what? We really all stepchildren, 
right? Because he said he adopted us all in, right? We've been grafted in, another place says. So really, there's nobody that we should think is we're better than anyone. Anybody that comes into the church that maybe don't look like us, don't act like us, don't talk like us. Man, I'm so thankful when I came here that the church just loved on me and accepted me and just helped me in every way. Amen. And we should be the same way to others. Amen. And I'm hoping if you're considering being a part of this local church, that's what you've been feeling. And I, I, I'm going to pray that that's what you uh, uh, would experience as you get connected to the church. The second privilege of being in the family of God is this. And I kind of hit on it. It's the privilege of responsibility and service. The privilege of responsibility and service. Now, every person in the family has duties to carry out, right? Some service to give for the sake of the family, right? Everybody has duties. Well, should everybody in a household should, in other words, pull their own load, right? Some way to serve, right? Look, all the mamas are shaking their head like, yeah, they should. They should be washing them dishes. They should be helping me fold the clothes or they should be outside cutting the grass, right? Right? When I talk to my children, my son about cutting the grass, and, oh, I don't want to. I said, hey, don't you play in that yard? Yes, sir. Don't you climb those trees? Yes, sir. Well, then you can help rake those leaves up and cut that grass, right? You're part of this family and you're using the, the benefits of this household, right? Amen? Amen. What's well, the same thing in church? Amen? Goes back to not just come and sit on the pew. Hey, we all get the blessings and the benefit of church and we have the privilege of the responsibility in serving in the church as well. For years, they've said there's been the 80-20 principle or 20-80% principle that 20% of the people in church do 80% of the work. This ought not be, right? We should all, if you're in the family of God, if you've been adopted in, if you're a child of God, if you consider family life your local church, it's a privilege to serve here. I've always, it's a privilege to be up here today. It's a privilege to serve. And even before I was on staff here, it was a privilege. I loved serving in the youth ministry and being here and doing things. Man, I was just so thankful. I was just so happy to be in church. Amen. Way better than serving in jail. That's for sure. I was thankful. It's a privilege. We also have the responsibility, as I hit on earlier, to love, care for, provide, and help each other. We need to be doing these things and all other things mentioned in the previous point are in everything else that will build up and strengthen the family of God. A family's the most healthy when everybody's pitching in doing their part. A household runs the smoothest when everyone's pitching in doing their part. I'm sure if I got a, just a couple of mamas up here to testify to that, I see some more shaking their head even harder that time. If everybody pitched in and helped, just everybody takes a little chunk of, hey, you get the dishes, you get the clothes, you cut, take the trash out, you cut the yard, right? We can knock it all out and, and, and we can all go have fun, right? We can reap the, the blessing and the benefit of, of a clean house and, and not to have to worry about all these chores we got to do. But man, when there's one or two people, again, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna, I'm, I guess I'm just affirming the mamas today. When the mamas are carrying all the load, right? It's, it, it makes it harder. And guess what? You ever notice when like one or two people are carrying all the load, they're not always the happiest camper. You ever notice that? Right? You're laughing because you know it's true, right? It's just like, you know, we better go help mama or uh, things are going to get bad around here, right? Well, guess what? Hey, it's the same thing. Those of us that serve, we love serving and, and we love it. But man, you know what? There's so much to do. There's so much to be done. Man, if everybody would get in the game, how much more productive would we be? Amen. So let me stop right here and say, that's why we have the growth track. 
That's why we have growth track. If you have not been through the growth track yet, that's why we do this. It's not just another class. It's not just something else we want to do on Sunday afternoons. No, the reason we have a growth track is to try to help you to get into the game. To help you, listen, we believe, you know, you serving here, yes, it's a blessing and benefit to the whole church, but we actually feel like we're helping you out. We're helping you to do what God has divinely orchestrated and designed you to do. And so when you go through the growth track and you find out your spiritual gifts and your personality, uh, you know, how you operate, how God's wired you, how you tick, you know what, man, we, we get you, like today, today's the fourth class, and for those that have been going through it, today's the day we're going to start connecting people on the serve team. And we have a good class today, and it looks like there's a lot of people that are eager to help out. That's why we do that, because as the Apostle Paul said, hey, listen, we have the responsibility and the privilege it's not that, hey, oh, I have to go do this at church. It should be, I get to go do this at church. I get to do this. This is a privilege. It's an honor and a privilege to be able to serve my Lord through the local church. Look what Galatians 5.13 says. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. So don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. I've heard people say, oh, well, brother, I ain't, I ain't legal. I ain't a legalist. I, I'm, I'm free to do that. I can do it. Yeah, well, that's, that's cool. But, you know, the Bible says use your freedom to serve one another, not to, to tinkle around with sin. That's what he's saying. Amen? So, listen, our heart should be to serve one another in love. God has set us free, and we are free. But let's lose our freedom to serve one another here in the church. And then as you see, serve there again. You know, we're talking about inside the body of Christ. But part of that serving in the church, our arms extend to the rest of the community. So now we have an opp- we have opportunity th- coming up next month to serve the whole community. Amen? Y'all still with me? I think there's going to be some, some mamas asking for some, some help with some chores this afternoon now. I, but I felt the anointing on that. So, so mamas, I, I believe that, that was from the Lord. Now, you know, the truth is, though, I have to practice what I preach, too, because I have a house and a wife and all that, too. So somebody say, help him, Lord. <laughs> Number three, not only are we citizens and we are in his family, the Bible says that we are his house. We are his house. You know, often we say, hey, let's let's go to the house of God, man. You're in the house of God. And it's true, the building, we consider it. But really, when he says we are his house, he's not talking about this metal building right here. Look what it says. Ephesians 2.20 says, together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. If you think about a house, again, in our modern day or any house, even all through the ages, what does a house do? A house gives shelter, protection, refuge from the heat, the cold, the storms, right? Man, bless God, how many of you are thankful for a house with running AC in the summertime in South Louisiana, right? Come on. How many of you are happy when these major storms blow through or just a regular rain that you have a house to go to during the storms that protect you from it? You know what? Well, the church is the same thing. The church should be providing shelter refuge, and let me even say healing in the storms of life. He said, you are God's house. We should be providing these same things. Again, that's what you can expect if you come is, hey, look, we want to help you. 
It also says it's a place of comfort. That, that a house is a place of comfort. And, you know, when you go into a house and it's hot outside, you turn on the AC, it's comforting. Now, I know we don't get many uh, cold winters here, but if you have a fireplace and you go sit in, in front of a fire after it's cold. We were up north earlier this year and it was cold and it was snowing. And, man, it was nice to come back in in the warmth of that fireplace, right? It, it should be a place of comfort. First Thessalonians 4.18 says, Therefore, comfort one another with these words. See, a, a building, these walls can't, can't give you words, can't comfort you with words, but we can comfort one another, right? The house of God should be a place of shelter, of, of, of refuge, and of comfort. Ephesians 2.20 paints the picture, Paul paints the picture of believers being the building stones, us, <clears throat> excuse me, being the building stones that God is using to construct his house. And it says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. See, the symbolism of the cornerstone gives us some significant things to think about. You know, when they built the temple or buildings back then, they used large stones. So whenever Paul said Jesus is the cornerstone, this is what he was saying. Three significant things about a cornerstone is one, the cornerstone is the first stone laid. All other stones are placed after it. So it is with Christ. He is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the forerunner, the one who went before us into the very presence of God. All others come into God's presence after him. Amen? As we just celebrated the cross, communion this morning. You know, Jesus was the forerunner. He went, the veil was torn, the Bible says, from top to bottom. Once, it, once the, the, the work on the cross was finished, that was symbolic of us having total access, as we said at the beginning, to God's presence, but it was Jesus. He's the cornerstone. He was the forerunner for us. The second thing about a cornerstone is that the cornerstone is the supportive stone. All other stones are placed on top of it and are held up by the cornerstone. All other stones rest upon the cornerstone as well. The cornerstone is the main stone in a building in position and in power. So it is with our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the support, the power, and the foundation of God's house. Amen? He talks about that. Jesus himself talks about this in the parable of, of building the house. Do you remember he said, if you build your house on the rock, on the cornerstone, no matter what, what storms blow in, the winds and the waves will hit it, storms of life happen. But if you build your house the right way, on the rock, on the cornerstone, no matter how great the storms of life is, your life won't be blown over. Because guess what? We build in it. The cornerstone is, is the support. And when we weary, it says that every other stone rests upon the cornerstone. We can find our rest, our peace in him. And then the last and final thing about the cornerstone is that the cornerstone is the directional stone. It is used to line up the building to all other stones. It can also be called the instructional stone. Upon it, all the lines and instructions of the building are based upon this cornerstone. So it is again with Christ. He is the person who gave and gives us direction and instructions each and every day. We, the church, are to build our lives upon his instructions only. If we follow any other instructions, guess what? We'll be out of line. That's when we go off kilter, right? You ever seen something, you know, they, they, they pop lines when they do something straight. You ever seen something out of line? You look down that grout line or something, you're like, man, that thing got a big old S in it, right? That's how our life will do. If we don't build our life, if we don't take our instruction from the word of God and the word of God alone, then we get out of line in our life. Amen? So we must build our lives. The church is the house of God. 
is the house of God and Christ is the cornerstone. So everything we do as a church has to come and be built on Jesus Christ and his teaching, his power, and his position. Amen? And the fourth and final thing Paul says is that we are his temple. We are his temple. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22 says, We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. The whole body of Christ is pictured as a building, a universal church being constructed for God's presence. See, the local church exists for the purpose of providing a dwelling, a home for the presence of God through his spirit. So for, in other words, for people to know that God is alive and well and his presence is living on this earth, he uses us to do that. He uses the temple as a whole universal and individual. Look, I love even Moses said this. I quote the scripture probably quite often. You've probably heard me use it if you heard me preach any amount of times. But in Exodus 33, 16, Moses says this. For your presence among us sets your people in me apart from all the other people of the earth. It's his presence. His presence among us is what sets us apart. It's the presence of God that sets us apart. One of the main things that sets us apart from every other religion, every other false religion, is God's presence. Because in, 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 in pretty much every other religion, they don't believe they can even, that God may be even hearing their prayer, more or less sense God's presence. I even had a, a, a conversation with a man in another denomination of Christianity when I was a young believer, and I mentioned to him that I, about the presence of God and how I was sensing the presence of God. And he looked at me and he said, you can't feel God's presence. And I wasn't trying to be disrespectful. And I said, well, maybe you can't feel his presence, but I've been sensing his presence all day long as I'm up here sanding this door. You know, and I wasn't trying to be arrogant. I was just trying to speak the truth. But that's what the Bible says, right? We are his temple by which he lives through us by his spirit. If the spirit of the living God is living in us and flowing through us, I believe we're going to feel something, right? We don't serve God by feelings. But when you stop and think about that, the God of the universe that created all the galaxies, everything we see, you know, hung the stars and named them all. If he's living inside of us, we should know that, recognize it, sense it. And be ecstatic that we are the temple of the Lord, right? We as a church are to allow the Holy Spirit to live out his life through us. Again, individually, 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and is given to you by God. See, the Holy Spirit dwells within the church to help us when we're troubled, confused, discouraged, suffering. He also helps us when, as we're serving, witnessing, preaching, teaching, and in whatever capacity, the Lord is here to help us. We know Acts 1.8 says this, that, that, that you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witness. You will be able to do all these things. I will be with you, Jesus said. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, how could Jesus say that if he was going to heaven? Because he knew he was sending his spirit to the earth to be with us. I've said this often. See, everything that Jesus was to his disciples when he walked this earth, the Holy Spirit is to us. He is to, Everything God does on this earth is by his spirit. God the Father is in heaven and Jesus is seated at his right hand. So everything that the Lord does here is through his spirit. 
Every time somebody gets born again, every bit of healing, every miracle, when you sense God's presence, when you sense God's peace, all of that stuff is done by the Spirit of God, and he lives inside of us. We are his dwelling. We are his temple. The Spirit of God also dwells within the church to conform the church to God's will. But the effectiveness of the local church depends upon how much we allow the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to control us. See, that's the key, church, is we know he's with us, but how much are you willing to let him take over your life? How much are you willing to surrender and say, okay, Lord, I know I've I've, I've accepted you. I've asked you to forgive me. I've received the free gift of salvation. Lord, I know you live in me. I believe all this. But now it's, hey, take control. Holy Spirit, take control. Have your way. You lead me and guide me and you direct me where you want me to go. Amen? And as I close, as I end on that note, Jesus said this in John 14, 17. He said, He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him. It doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives with you now and later will be in you. See, the reason the world can't receive the Holy Spirit is because they don't know him. You may not know him today. As, as, as Pastor Todd said last week, there's a, a big difference between believers and non-believers. And in order for the Holy Spirit to live amongst us, we must know him. And we must first accept Christ and his free gift of salvation. Why don't you go ahead and stand up with me, please? So if you don't mind, if you don't mind just bowing your head with me. Every head bowed if you don't mind closing your eyes. Just out of respect for those around you, reverence to the Lord. If you say, you know what, Brandon, I, I hear what you're saying. First and foremost, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a part of this church, and, and, and I'm not even sure of everything you, you were saying, but you may not be sure that, that, that God is living in you, that the Spirit of God is living in you. Because it, the, as we just read, it says that the world can't receive, you can't receive the Holy Spirit and God's presence and power and provision unless you know him. And you, the only way to know him is to first accept him, to ask him to forgive you of your sin and to accept and believe. That word believe means to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you say, Brandon, I'm not sure if God is living inside of me. I'm not sure that I'm right with God. I'm not sure that if, if I died today, if today was my last day, that I would spend eternity in heaven. When we were talking about heaven earlier, about communion and, and the presence of God, and how we're citizens of heaven, you might say, Brandon, I'm not sure I'm a citizen of heaven. I still feel like a stranger or a foreigner. I feel far away from God, but Brandon, I want to get right with God today. If that's you, I just want you to slip up your hand. Let me see your hand and I want to pray with you. If that's you, I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Anyone else? Say, Brandon, I need to get right with God. I see your hand in the back. Anybody else? We want to pray with you. We're going to pray together. Just want to take a minute. Say, Brandon, I I need to get right. I need to accept Christ into my life. I want to get right. Okay, for those of you that raised your hand, we're all going to pray together. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. So as a family, let's all pray this together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying for me. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I accept the free gift of salvation. I believe you died for me and that you rose again to give me new life. Now, Lord Jesus, give me the grace and give me the strength 
to live for you every day of my life. And fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to live for you and to be used by you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap for those that have made that decision. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, for those of you that raised your hand, if, if, you, uh, uh, if you raised your hand for the first time, or maybe you, you've made a decision to rededicate your life, there's a card in the pew right in front of you, and there's a green strip on the top that says, I made a decision. Do me a favor, before you leave, just only take a, about a minute, fill it out, and then bring it to the, someone in the info center, or bring it up to us, to one of the pastors or altar workers. We want to pray for you, we got a Bible for you, and we want to we help you get started on your journey. Now listen, for the rest of us, Again, this is what Paul, this is the pictures that Paul paints of what the church should be like. His temple, his family, his house, we're citizens. These are the kind of ways each and every day we should operate. If you sat here today and said, Brandon, I'm not doing any or uh, all of those things or any of those things. I want to challenge you to get in the game today. Amen. I want to challenge you. You know, there's a fourth class of growth track next week. Jump into the growth track. Start the growth track and find out where you can best serve, where you can best best be a part of the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a privilege and it's our responsibility. And, and if, if this is your first time here, you've been coming here a few times, I hope that today you was encouraged. If you've wondered, well, why do I need to be a part of a church? This is why. Amen. Well, God bless y'all. Y'all have a wonderful day. See y'all soon.